wrapping up the ends of this series. So manhood today, biblical womanhood in a couple of weeks, and next week, biblical marriage. I'm really excited about that opportunity that we have to look into that. Uh, I'm in a relationship with a guy's name is is Al, and we meet every Thursday for biblical connection in our relationship. It's a discipling relationship. We speak truths into one another by the scripture. I think every man ought to have a relationship like that, someone who's walking in the way of Christ and building a relationship in that, that journey. And some time ago, several weeks ago, he told me about a, a paper that he was writing about marriage. It was really some thoughts that the scripture had provoked in him and he wanted to flesh them out. Uh, I do that sometimes, just flesh out some things in writing and that's helpful for me. It's like it, it, you're not going to really think through it if you don't write it out because if you write it out, you're going to potentially have to defend it. So I think that's a good practice for us. And, and I said, hey, will you send me that? I want to just read that. So I read through that. I said, wow, great. Al, you've You've written your next message you're going to preach at Meadowbrook. And so he's been fashioning this. The last week he told me his own uh, revision number eight or nine. And I can tell you it was prime in the beginning. It's going to be prime next week. You're going to really engage in biblical truth uh, next week. So I'm hoping that you'll be here and invite some folks to come with you because it's a great opportunity for us to grow in our insight to biblical marriage. But today we're talking about biblical manhood. Let's just be reminded that Proverbs is written by Solomon for the most part, to his son to give to him instructions so that he might go in the way that God would have him to go. And I think what he's developing in his son is the insight to biblical manhood. Fathers and grandfathers who are purposeful to lead their sons into biblical manhood understand this God-ordained mission. You and I have a call of God to lead young ones to the way of Christ. So if we set our parental sights on anything other than that, then we're setting our sights too low. You might have your sights set on raising your son or coaching your son or providing for your son or caring for your son. And if that's the case, those are all good, but they're not great. God has moved in us so that we might have passion to lead our sons and grandsons from boyhood to biblical manhood. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So Proverbs chapter 3 is where we'll start. If you'll just go with me in your scripture, if you've got a pen or pencil handy, you might want to make some notes as we're going through taking your hand out in your Bible together. Here's what he says. Uh, this is Solomon writing. My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And catch this verse four. So you will find favor, find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. I think ultimately that's what Solomon was longing for for his son. Certainly what I'm longing for as a dad, now a granddad, for my sons and grandson is that they would find favor and success with God and with people. This is our target. This is our goal, to develop those who are younger than us with the way of God so that they might have favor with God and with people. And that favor, of course, comes in faith. Everything that is done outside of faith is a sin. So we know that our, our building is towards faith. So when it comes to raising kids, 
The family and the church must pursue the eternal attributes and develop the character that is God-honoring and people-loving. When it comes to raising boys, parents, in particular dads, must set their sights high to develop this characteristic that is God-ordained and Christ-centered and Holy Spirit-empowered. Setting our sights too low, we will focus on those things that are temporary. And yet you and I have been called to something greater. You and I have been called to set our aim to that which is eternal. So we move within our kids and our grandkids to move them to that which is eternal. And God empowers us uniquely to do that. I would ask that we would take that and run with it. For sons, it would be to develop them into biblical manhood, daughters into biblical womanhood. What good is coaching your son to be the best athlete in Etowah County if he does not have favor with God? You'd be setting your sights too low if your child was the greatest athlete in Etowah County and you helped develop your child there. What is it if your son is the most disciplined of students but he cannot relate well with people? Or what good is it if your son develops a good work ethic and has a keen business sense if his heart is not given to steadfast love? Or what good is it if your son is handsome and most popular with the girls but is proven to be unfaithful? What good is it if your son is voted most likely to succeed, accepted into the greatest of colleges, given the most significant of scholarships, but is eternally rejected by the God of heaven? We must not set our sights too low. Our aspirations must be with that which is eternal. Now, nurturing and coaching your sons into athletes and scholarship in business and popularity and even in success those are all good characteristics and good qualities but they are not the highest qualities so don't short your children these attributes are worldly they are not ordained eternally by god for the sons of god they are not ordained by god for us to develop our children in those things our mission is much more lofty than that we are to wisely develop sons into biblical manhood that is given to faith in jesus christ and lived a life that is that exemplified by christ jesus himself that's our goal let's set our sights in the right way it's the reason why proverbs 3 4 is so important as parents we must do all things in a purposeful way so that our sons will find favor with god and success in the sight of god and man you could say the same for your daughters but we're focusing on manhood today jesus was proven to be perfect at this in gospel of luke chapter 2 verse 52 it says that jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with god and man that was the objective for solomon and it's certainly the objective for the holy spirit to raise jesus as a boy into biblical manhood pastor and author robert lewis has devoted much of his life and ministry to the discipling of men into biblical manhood and he notes the difference, and I was intrigued by it, between the first Adam and the last Adam. Now, if you're not familiar with that, Scripture talks about the first Adam, that of Genesis, and the last Adam being that of Jesus. The first man was given 
uh, there in Genesis and the last, the man who shows us what biblical manhood and godly manhood is all about in a perfect way is Jesus. So he's, he's showing the counter of those two by studying them. We can discover the failure of the first Adam and we can see the righteousness of the second Adam and we can, in faith, pursue the second. So he gives multiple illustrations of this the differences between the two but i'm just going to point to three of them today and that's the first is this notice in your handout there's some blanks that you might want to fill in and and uh, stay on track with me the first in the differences of the two is that the first adam is different than the last adam and that the first adam uh, had passivity so biblical manhood rejects passivity it's not passive Biblical manhood is rejecting passivity. If you've read through the Genesis account, you know Genesis 3 is quite chilling. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and in the midst of them there is a cunning and crafty serpent who begins to pose questions to Eve to ask her, to provoke her, and to bring doubt to her about God's word. He was moving her towards a rebellious disobedience and Adam as well. Adam had been instructed by God in the word of God. I should just note for a moment that God did not give his instruction to Adam and Eve. He gave his instruction to Adam even before Eve was crafted. God had given instruction to Adam and it was Adam's duty to give that instruction to Eve and then to the subsequent generations. But while this cunning serpent is talking to her, trying to bring her to a point of rebellion and disobedience and thereby woo Adam to the same, Adam is passive. He did not reject the words of the serpent. He did not rebuke the serpent. He did not redirect Eve to truth. He allowed his wife's heart to be redirected by lies and he yielded his leadership, which he should have been giving at the time to Eve he yielded that leadership so that Eve is now leading him he's passive and with such rebellion and lack of God-ordained discipline as a leader he allows that passivity to manifest itself into real chaos so biblical manhood is a rejection of that kind of passivity it is taking on that which God has called us to be active in. Jesus, the last Adam, rejected any passive notion whatsoever. In fact, Jesus was righteously aggressive, and he was always a man of initiative. He was moving forward. He confronted that which needed to be confronted. He was communicative, and he was engaging at all times. He was purposeful in advancing God's kingdom. And when opposition came against him, he proved to be courageous and strong. His aggression and his initiative was always grounded in his desire to do the will of the Father and to do it in a way that reflected the love that he had for the Father and the love that he has for mankind. So our righteous initiative, our ability to be active rather than passive comes from christ it is his nature that has been given to us and it's always within the boundaries of the will of god and the love for god and people jesus was perfect at that like the first adam mankind tends to be sort of a passive uh, 
man seems to be passive in the things that are most needful for us to be aggressive in. Those things which are spiritual, those things which are eternal, we often find ourselves passive in them, and we find ourselves to be aggressive in those things that are actually temporary at best. I mean, think about all the things that men are actively aggressive in. It's the sports, right? It's their hobbies, it's their business, it's their profession, it's those things that man seems to be very agreeable to be active in. But the things that are eternal, those are the things that we are very passive in. And when we're like that, when we're passive in that which is eternal, we are being like that first Adam rather than the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And I think what the passage would have for us today is that if you want to find favor and success with God and man, you need not be passive like that of the first Adam. You need to walk in the aggressive righteousness of the second Adam, the last Adam, taking on his nature, confined within the will of the Father and the love for the Father and people. Be active in that. You say, Randy, I'm not so sure about being passive in that way, if, if that's true. Well, by nature, men find it easier to coach their kids in sports than they do with praying with their kids. Have you noticed that to be true? By nature, men are more comfortable talking about the events of the day that have occurred rather than praying about the day before an event occurs. We have a passivity that is uncharacteristic of being a son of God like that of Jesus. Men quite commonly are passive when it comes to leading out in spiritual things, whether it's with family, friends, or church. In biblical practices and biblical ways, we tend to take a second seat back. By nature, the nature of Adam, men are not confident and comfortable in the things that are spiritual. If I were to ask a number of people to pray today, could I ask five people to stand and pray today? A good number, and potentially even the first, would be that of women. Because men in the flesh of Adam have a propensity to be passive in those things that matter the most. So Jesus, the last Adam, was always aggressive in righteousness, always initiating and always moving forward regarding the righteous will of the Father, wanting to obey and pursuing that obedience. He lived and he expressed perfectly what manhood is all about in his heart, his mind, his action, his words. He was wonderfully communicating the way of manhood. And by His amazing grace, He provides that kind of means for us to live in a way that is biblical, and uh, following suit with biblical manhood. Whereas Adam led into the passivity and sin, Jesus lives with righteousness and initiative towards holiness. So I'd ask us to think about that, men. Think of ways that we have been passive that are like that of the first Adam, who's letting the enemy have his way with his deceitfulness, speaking those words of deceit into our wives, not moving forward aggressively to take God's word and lift it to our wives, not stopping for a spiritual moment to pray with our wives and consider how are we like the first Adam when Jesus has made it possible for us to be like him, the last Adam. Could I ask you to do something? Would you ask your wife today, before the sun goes down, ask her, would you like for me to pray with you? Ask her that. 
Gather your kids up and say to them, hey, before we put our head to the pillow, would you like dad to read a portion of the Bible to you and pray with you? I'm pretty confident that wives and children would all say, yes, dad. They're longing for that. But you and I have a way of being passive when it comes to that because we're like the first Adam in our flesh. And God has made it by the Spirit of Christ that dwells within us to be like the second Adam, Jesus. But you're going to have to make, make an initiative towards that second Adam, that second perfect, righteous man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he will empower you to do that. Ask the question. They will give you the permission and walk forward in that. Reject passivity. Secondly, biblical manhood accepts responsibility. Lewis points out that Adam rejected responsibility in three key areas of his life. That was he rejected the will of God to obey. Adam rejected the work that God instructed him to do. And Adam rejected the notion, this woman that God wanted him to love. He, he failed to love her as he was called to love her and protect her. So sons and fathers must learn to accept the responsibility that God has given to them, consider God's will, and be active in moving forward to advance the will of God. Pursue it with faith and walk in obedience to the will of God. Consider the biblical instructions that God has given to us and walk by faith in those instructions. You say, well, I don't know that I can do that. The Spirit of God will empower you to do that. I don't know that I understand all the instructions of God. The Spirit of God will teach you the instructions of God. This church will encourage you in the way of God. So do the will of God, seek the way of God, the instructions of God, and then love the wife that God has given to you. Love the woman that God has given to you. Biblical manhood pursues that woman. As the Bible says, the woman of your youth. In other words, the one that you linked in in a covenant relationship, stick with her and love her as God wants you to love her all the way through your lives. As long as you're living together, stay with her. The biblical man pursues the wife of his youth, loving her, caring for her emotionally, physically, spiritually, supporting her and sacrificing for her. Listen, a man who honors God honors his wife. You cannot honor God and not honor your wife. The biblical man honors God and he honors his wife. He is not a burden to her. He is a helper to her. He doesn't tear her down. He builds her up. He does not makes, make her serve him. He is serving her in love. That's, that's the honorable way of living unto the Lord. So if you're single or you're too young to be married, the Lord will provide a woman for you unless he is calling you to singleness. And if he's calling you to singleness, it's because he wants you to be a pursuant of the kingdom of God, singularly minded to the kingdom of God. And in that way, if you're called to that, then he will reward you for your faithfulness to that call. But for the majority of us, we're called in marriage May the Lord find us faithful to love that woman he has given to us. Jesus accepted the pursuit of the responsibilities that God had given him. J Jesus says this, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So a biblical man is in pursuit of the will of God. 
And it's not just in pursuit of God, but it's living unto the glory of God. In fact, as Jesus is wrapping up his ministry here on earth, he says to the Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So he's obeying the instruction of God. He's doing the will of God. And though he was single, Jesus had a singular love for what he would call his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul, in reference to a man and woman, says that we ought to love our wives like Christ loved the church. In fact, he loved the church so much, as Ephesians 5 says, that Jesus gave up himself for her. So a biblical man is this man. He knows the instruction of God and he obeys the instruction. He knows the will of God. He walks in the will of God by faith and he loves the woman that God has given to him and he does so in a way that is, honor, is honorable and pleasing to the Lord and to her. Jesus is perfect in that, but he's not just living an example for us. He is the living way for us. That's the hope of the gospel that we're not just looking back and saying, man, I wish I could do it like Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to give you my, li my life and I'm going to empower you by my spirit. I'll give you my instruction and you can live in a way that is glorious unto me. Let him do that work in you. This will of God, this instruction of God, this loving the woman that God has given to you. And then number three, biblical manhood leads courageously biblical manhood leads courageously i can't help but visualize what was happening in the garden as the serpent had come to eve when eve needed her husband the most there in the presence of evil listening to words that are deceiving and being tempted to rebel against god adam fails to lead her if you're not praying with your wife if you're not leading her to scripture you're failing to lead her and the Bible says, lead courageously. Now, every man in here has an awkwardness if he's not leading his wife in that way. And I understand uh, I had lived many of the years of my marriage, even as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, without being purposeful to pray with and over my wife. And you will go through a period of awkwardness when you begin that, but it's worth the week of challenge because after that, it is absolutely glorious. Kay and I were in a discipling relationship with a few couples, and we would meet once a week in our house, and we'd just talk through the Scripture and try to challenge each other to walk in the way of Christ that is given to us by the Spirit. And I challenged those people who were in my discipleship group to begin the practice of praying as a spouse, and that the husband should take the step and lead in that way. And one of those guys circled back to me and said, man, my marriage is revolutionized. My marriage is forever changed. I cannot believe the power of praying with my wife. I was having lunch a couple of weeks ago with another gentleman, and he was sitting down with me. He's a man now that's an amazing uh, model. He prays with his wife individually. He reads the Bible with his sons and prays over them. And he said, Randy... My life, my family life is forever changed. I got a call from a friend. Actually, it was a text from a friend who was telling me about his dad when he was growing up, reading to him the Proverbs before school every day. He didn't think of it much as a teenager, but now that he's a dad of a teenager who practices the same thing of reading the Proverbs with his son, he recognizes the impact that, that makes. And even though he might have some doubts if his son is even listening 
He knows that God's word does not return void any more than that deposits were void in him. I'm telling you, it makes a difference. You say, well, how do I start? Start this way. Ask your wife, would you like for me to pray with you today? Would you like for me to do that every day? When can we do that? For Kay and me, it's before I head out to the office. We're sitting down at the table together. We're holding hands together, having read God's word, and we're praying together. I'm leading the prayer for us to, to be in the way of Christ that day. I just It's awesome. We ought to all be courageous in that leadership. Jesus was proven to be courageous in that way because he was constantly for uh, this courageous leadership. He's, he's wondrous at that. In fact, if you read through the gospel accounts, you'll find the courageous leadership of Christ over and over and over. Mark's first words that are written as being from the mouth of Christ is his leadership. He recognizes that people are distant from God, they're removed from God, they're, they're counter to the holy way of God, and there's no way they're going to be in relationship with God. You can't have holiness and sin in the same presence. So Jesus is courageously leading people out of that place of sin to the holiness of God, and he does this. Here's the first words that Mark records. He came, Jesus did, into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God saying the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand and hear this leadership it's courageous repent and believe the gospel repent and believe that's a leading by Christ now the first words that Jesus has in direct interaction with somebody are two fishermen brothers and look at the courageous leadership of Jesus he just simply says these powerful words, two words, follow me. That's a leader right there. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus proves to be this courageous leader who's living his life in the way that God has prescribed for men to live. And he calls people to live in that way as well. He called them to new life. But he wasn't just calling them to a new life. He was calling them to the journey of life with him. He certainly was the way of that life, and he lived that life with them. And he provided for them abundantly in that life. He does the same for you and me. But you need to know it takes courage to do that because that kind of leadership is going to cost you. It certainly costs Christ Jesus. Biblical manhood courageously leads even though there is a high cost to that leadership. As a shepherd, Jesus leads his sheep so that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. But he's leading not for selfish gain, he's leading for the benefit of other people and he willfully pays the price by laying down his life for those people. Bodie Bachman, who's a pretty prominent preacher in our day, notes that the culture around us identifies manhood differently than the Bible. The culture around us identifies manhood with three Bs, the ball field, the billfold and the bedroom and when Vody mentioned that I thought immediately there's a conquest in every one of those there's a conquest for the ball field who's going to win who's going to be victorious there's a conquest in the billfold how much can I have how much can I amass and there's a conquest in the bedroom who can I experience and what will the experience be like in all those ways there's consumerism consuming ego consuming prowess consuming stuff 
Jesus in biblical manhood was never a consumer like that. Jesus was a giver, just constantly giving, constantly leading people to the betterment, constantly drawing people to himself. Biblical manhood leads the family, friends, and the church courageously as well as loving God and loving people wondrously regardless of the cost. So men, if you're alive in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is within you, he is guiding you to love God and love others at all cost. And he's calling out for us to live out biblical manhood by rejecting passivity, by accepting responsibility and leading courageously. If you have sons and you have grandsons or you relate to boys in some way in this younger generation or even in your own generation, then you have an ordained model by which you should live by. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lead the younger ones to the way of Christ. Equip them in the way of Christ to be biblically men. Lead boys into biblical manhood. Now let me just say, you can do this by God's grace. You can do it. You might say, well, hey, my life is far gone. I have fewer years ahead of me than I have behind me. I don't know that it would make a difference right now. Let me tell you, wherever you are, whoever you're connected with, biblical manhood will make a difference, not just in you, but in the people around you. You can do this by the grace of God. You won't do it in your own strength. You won't do it in your own power. But by God's grace through Christ Jesus, he will transform you. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the way of the gospel. That we just trust Christ and his word. We confess where we have failed in it. We repent that has changed the way we think about it. And with faith, we walk in the way of Christ, knowing that he empowers empowers us to do what that in which he has called us to do you can do this so i don't know about the man manliness listen whether you played football marched in the band or cheered in the stands god wants you to be fully a biblical man with the the working of the holy spirit in you with the power of the word that has been given to you and with your sight set on what is above god says I'll empower you to do this. I'm calling you to it and I'm empowering you to it. Whether you are a have not or a have or possess somewhere in between, God is affording you the opportunity for biblical manhood. Whether you are loved, whether you are unloved or you have yet to be loved, God's heart is given to you so that you might walk in biblical manhood. If you have blown it, which the majority of us have blown it, the wonder of the gospel is God resets our heart. He takes all that and nails it to the cross of Calvary, and he gives us a new life, a resurrected, powerful life that we might walk in the way of Christ. God will reset you today. Are you willing for him to do that kind of work? Are you agreeable to that kind of work? Are you willing to reject passivity? Are you willing to accept the responsibility as a man? And are you willful to move forward in this way that God has instructed you to leading out courageously?
I would say that what we ought to do for all of us is confess where we have failed and accept the working of Christ in our life. Now, maybe you need to go to someone. Maybe it's you need to go to your wife and say to her, hey, like Adam, I have failed to meet your spiritual needs. Like Adam, when the world was speaking lies and deceit into you, I didn't stand up for you. Like Adam, I've been passive in spiritually leading you to the word of God. But if you'll allow me, I'll walk in faith in that leadership. Make your confession. Maybe you need to go to your kids and say, hey, dad hasn't been leading you in the way that Christ would want me to lead you. Will you forgive me of that? And will you allow me the opportunity to lead you in the way of God's word and in prayer? Maybe they'll receive that. Maybe they won't receive that. The duty has, the obligation has already been met by you making confession and moving forward in the way of Christ. I'm guessing that the majority of the people in this room will be well received and your life will be charting differently from this point forward. Men should pursue biblical manhood and be the model for sons and daughters. Model for daughters because daughters need to know what kind of man they ought to be pursuing in life and marriage one day. Sons ought to be looking for the opportunity to develop in spiritual mindedness, aspire to be a biblical man. Young women considering who it is that they're in pursuit of in their life, who they're allowing to be in relationship with. Is it a biblical young man wives praying for and nurturing sons and grandsons to christ honoring manhood may we all move in that direction and may christ be honored in our desire to serve him in such a way help us lord i pray even as we are wrestling and struggling in our spirits even now the old adam of our flesh seems to rise up as if this isn't a big deal oh god help us to put that down and help us to walk in the way of Christ, to recognize that righteousness is active, to recognize that responsibility is given and we must be found faithful. And to know, Lord, that in all things we are to lead courageously as Christ led. So help us, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus.